Would you stand now and listen for the word of the Lord? We're reading from the gospel according to St. Luke. Hear these words. When a great crowd gathered and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell on the path and was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered for lack of moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew with it and choked it. Some fell into good soil, and when it grew, it produced a hundredfold. As he said this, he called out, Let anyone with ears to hear listen. This is the word of the Lord. Have you ever watched the Ironman triathlon? It's usually aired on television about this time of year, usually a two-hour documentary talking about this rigorous race that hundreds and hundreds of people sign up for. This is what they're signing up for. The first thing you get to do is get up before daylight and go down to the beach. And then just about the time the sun is up, the race is ready to start, and you get to swim into the open water of the ocean a mile out and a mile back, two miles in the ocean. If you survive that, then you get to come out of the water, jump on a bicycle that's waiting for you, and ride 112 miles through lava fields in the summertime. If you survive that leg, you get to get off your bicycle, put on your running shoes, and then you get to run a marathon over 26 miles. It is a grueling race. Even for the elite athletes, it takes them hours and hours most of the day to survive. Now, I've done some triathlons, none nearly that long, but, you know, we swim for 10 minutes and ride for 30 and run for... Well, some 20, me about 30 to get back. I like to watch, though, not only because some of these people are such great athletes, but because in the two-hour documentary, they tell the human interest stories. They tell of people who have come not because they're a professional at triathlons, but they, they, they've got something going on in their lives, and this has great meaning to them. There will be the person who is diagnosed with cancer, but is now cancer-free or is in treatment. And they're trying to prove to themselves that if they could do this, they could overcome that terrible disease and nothing could defeat them. Or there will be the person who's lost someone that's been very dear to them, someone they have loved, and they used to do these together. Or maybe they did it, and then this person took it up after their death. And so they're doing it in honor of someone else. Sometimes different family members have come together to train and for some reason something had been going on in their family and they needed to build some bonding and some togetherness and I don't know why they would choose this but they chose a triathlon. Oh, there are those elite athletes. I mean, they train year-round. They watch everything they eat. I mean, they just are focused, focused, focused 
and they are ready to go for this particular race because it's the one they've been aiming for all year long. But then there are those others. They didn't train hard enough. They maybe didn't put in all the miles they should have. And so they don't get very far. They kind of stop and go and stop and go. Or some of them trained well, but there was like the one fellow, he's, in, he's been training all year. I mean, he's ready. And in the first mile of the swim, he gets poked in the eye by another competitor. The injury is so bad, he is done. He can't go on. Or the woman who did really well in the swim jumped on her bike. She's leading the race, and then someone else comes near her, catches her tire, wrecks her bike, and she's out of the race. So those didn't fall out because they didn't train, but there are those who didn't train, and it's stop and go. The elite athletes, of course, finish first. They're going for the prizes, but then there are those others that finally have stopped and started stop and started actually the race is over the officials are gone the finish line's been taken down and they're still out there some of them just crawling to try to get to where the finish line was some of them make it they persevere late into the night it might be midnight or later they started before daylight they're still out there trying I am in awe of their resilience and their perseverance and inspired by their diligence and their persistence that they're going to finish one way or another. Jesus tells a parable, and when I was reading the parable, I was reminded of the triathlon because Jesus says we're not all going to finish. We're going to lose some along the way. He talks about a sower sowing seeds and some fall on the path and some fall among the rocks, some fall upon the thorns and, and they're not all going to make it. The life of discipleship is more like a triathlon than a walk in the park. But too many of us think we're signing up for a walk in the park when we say, I want to be a follower of Jesus, but we're really signing up for a triathlon. Following Christ is a lifelong enterprise. If you respond to all of God and all of God's promptings, it will ask for more than you expect to have to give. It will challenge you to grow in ways that you would not have done on your own. It is a lifelong experience to be a follower of Christ. And so Jesus tells this parable. Luke tells us crowds are gathering. Lots of people are coming. Something's happening here. They want to be a part of it. And Jesus is saying, this may not be what you thought. We're not all going to make it. When difficulty increases, numbers tend to decrease. When self-discipline is required, some are not nearly as interested as they were to begin with. Now, one of our biblical scholars who commented on this that I've been reading said that a normal harvest in Jesus' time would have been seven and a half bushels. A really good harvest would have been 10 bushels. And Jesus doesn't say, if the seed lands in the good soil, that you're going to get 10 bushels. He says something much more dramatic. He says that some seeds that fall in good soil are going to produce a hundredfold. That sounds impossible. It's unbelievable. It's spectacular. 
But that's what he predicts. He says when the seed, or later he tells us in Luke, it's the Word of God, when the Word of God falls on fertile soil, magnificent things happen that are beyond our belief. Sometimes with God, things in life happen that seem impossible or unbelievable. Did you ever see the movie Conviction? starred Hilary Swank. It came out a few years ago. It tells the true story of a brother and sister who were very close. They had a rough background. They did not grow up with all the advantages. They had some tough living in their early years. And the brother one day gets arrested. They accuse him of perpetrating a particularly violent crime. He says all along, I'm not the man. I wasn't there. It wasn't me. The sister says it couldn't be him. But the police and the prosecuting attorney and the judges and the jury all decide it was him. And he is sent to jail for life. Now the sister can't believe this has happened. And so she talks to the police. She talks to the attorney. She talks to the judges. She'll talk to anybody who will listen, but it's to no avail because they don't believe that she's telling the truth. At this point, she's old enough to have graduated from high school, but she does not have a high school education. She decides she's going to have to learn some more if she's ever going to get her brother out of prison, if she's ever going to get this thing straight. And so she begins to study, and she sits for the GED, and she passes. Then she applies for college. She's accepted. She does really well. She goes through college. Then she applies for law school. She is accepted, and she begins law school, all the while studying, holding down a job, and visiting the brother in prison all along. It shows how prison is breaking him down, is changing him. He has lost all hope. But she keeps saying, don't lose hope. I'm not going to forget you. I'm going to be there. I'm coming back next week. I'm still working on this. You can tell he doesn't believe it any longer. Finally, her last year of law school, she goes to a class, and the professor begins to talk about this new technology we have that can take DNA samples and help prove whether somebody was at the scene of a crime or not. And she says, this must be it. This could help my brother. She goes back to the police and asks, is there any DNA evidence? It's been 15 years since the crime. But almost miraculously, they say, yes, we do have some DNA. She goes through all the things it takes to get that tested. And sure enough, you know what she finds? Her brother is not the perpetrator. He's been in prison by now 15 years. It takes her four more years. She graduates from law school. She continues to talk to people and go through the system until after 19 years, he's released from prison. He is a free man. He had been wrongly convicted. But finally, he's exonerated and gets to live a free life. For those who persevere, for those who continue to grow, the reward will be great. Some seeds will yield a spectacular harvest. That's what Jesus says in this parable. 
that it will be beyond belief. Some seeds will produce a harvest that is spectacular. Some of you were here with me Wednesday afternoon at 2 o'clock. We were doing a memorial service for one of our longtime members, Laura Briley. Laura was the longtime Tulsa, and she owned day schools here in town. But she had an experience in 1990 when she was 42 years old that changed the rest of her life. She went on a vacation to Eastern Europe to learn something about a different culture, to see the beauty of that part of the world. But while she was in Romania, she ran across these orphanages where they were warehousing children without adequate nutrition, with virtually no human communication or human touch, kids that either had been abandoned or taken from their parents for one reason or another, kept in cribs all day long, no activity, no stimulation, no teaching. She was appalled. You may have seen it. It became a worldwide story. I saw it on a nightly news magazine one night with my wife. She and I talked about after that, how could that happen? How could that be true in this day and age, such an atrocity? That is not right. Somebody ought to do something. But we decided it was out of our reach, beyond our reach of influence. But Laura Briley saw it firsthand. And she came back to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and began to talk to people and say, listen, there is something going on that shouldn't be happening, and we could change it. And she began to gather funds and toys and books and supplies. She booked another trip to Romania. She had several trips back and forth overseas in Romania. She began to talk to politicians and journalists and doctors and professors and teachers and the local neighborhood people around the orphanages and say, let me help, let me help. She was able to set up a pilot program just three weeks long the first time. She put in a playground, gave them curriculum, talked to them about how to love and care for an infant, for a baby, for a growing child. It was a huge success. She was able to recruit UNICEF to be a partner, and it became a national program, a model program for Romania. It began to change the lives of hundreds of children. But she did not stop there. She began to organize symposiums in the U.S. and in other countries in Europe and in Asia and South America, telling the story, advocating for children, saying we can do better. We ought to care for all of our children no matter where they are born. They deserve to be cared for and loved and fed and nurtured, and we can do this. And she spent the rest of her life doing that and literally changed the lot of thousands and thousands of children around the world. Just before she passed away, she finished editing a book telling the story and talking more about how we should respect and care and surround our children with loving kindness. For those who listen and grow in Christ, the harvest will be great. I think that's tweetable. It's less than 140 characters. It's something we should remember. It's something that we should believe. It's the promise of the gospel. For those who listen and grow in Christ, the harvest will be great. Jesus says a hundred times more than the normal harvest. It'll be spectacular. It's quite a prediction. Nonetheless, it is true. Then in verse 8, 
the last verse we read this morning. After Jesus makes this unbelievable prediction, Luke records, as Jesus said this, he called out, let anyone with ears to hear listen. Let anyone with ears, all of us, right? Probably all of us. Let anyone with ears to hear listen. Listen. Think. Ponder the Word of God. What kind of seed are you? What kind of soil is your life? Did you ever see the movie Remember the Titans? Starred Denzel Washington. I missed it the first time around, but I watched it one night. Really fine movie. It happens in the 1970s in the South. Denzel Washington, African American, playing the role of a head coach who's been hired in a school system that's being forced to integrate. The black high school and the white high school have to integrate. Some positions are changing. For some reason, they decide they need a new head coach for the football team, and they bring him in. The only problem is that the very popular white coach who had been there is staying on, but is supposed to be his assistant. As you might imagine, things are tense. It's tense between the coaches. It's tense between the coaches and the boys. It's tense between the parents. Just everywhere you look in this small community because of this integration thing, tempers are flaring, tension is high, people are uncomfortable. But this new coach believes that he can change all that if he can get these boys to play football together. And he's an optimist, so he keeps trying, but they keep arguing and fighting and sniping. Finally, he decides he's going to have to take these boys out of town if he's ever going to have a chance to bring them together as a team. So he loads them all on a bus. They drive several hours to a college campus, and they have a football camp. So all day they're practicing and meeting and talking and getting to know each other. But you know what happens? They keep fighting and arguing and sniping, and they don't get along. And at lunchtime, all the white coaches and all the white players sit over here, and all the black coaches and the black players sit over there. And finally, he is fed up. And one morning at 3 a.m., he begins to knock on doors and says, Get up, boys. Put on your shoes. We're going for a run. And the other coaches don't even know, and they're like, What are you doing? You, he said, Get your shoes on. We're going for a run. And he runs off into the woods and says, Follow me. And he runs them until sunup. And they come out of the woods... And they're next to a graveyard, and the fog is still kind of hanging low. And they're all just sweaty and worn out. And he says, do you know where we are? Gettysburg. This is the site of the Battle of Gettysburg. Do you see those headstones? Those are young boys' graves about your age who died trying to settle a civil dispute we had in this country over a hundred years ago. But you know what, boys? We're still fighting the same fight. And it's time for us to decide how long are we going to fight the same fight. 
then he turns around and starts running back to the dorm. It's a turning point in the movie. But it's also a turning point in the lives of everyone who stood there with him that day. They begin to understand that they have a choice to act differently, to be better, to do better. They get to choose if they're going to keep fighting this fight over the color of someone's skin or not. And the movie goes on to detail that after that point, the dynamics on the team changed. And they really did begin to get to know each other. And to their great surprise, even across racial barriers, they liked each other. They enjoyed being together. The movie tells how some of them became lifelong best friends out of that experience. It also tells that as they overcame these obstacles and began to work together better, that they became a better football team and they started winning one game, then another, then another, until finally they were in the state championship and they won the game and they were state champions. True story. But they all had to make a choice. They all had to choose. The movie also shares that some made different choices. Some kids dropped out of the program because they weren't going to be with a kid of another race. Some parents pulled their kids out of the program because they didn't want any of this racial mixing nonsense going on. They weren't going to participate in it. Not all of them made the same choices. Not all of them went to the state finals. Not all of them celebrated the great community that was finally built on that football team and in that small town we all have to choose Jesus says we don't all choose the same thing the parable causes us to ask ourselves what kind of seed am I what kind of soil does the word of God find when it lands on me what kind of choice am I going to make? What kind of choices am I making? Luke says at the, list, at the end of the parable, Jesus calls out, let anyone with ears to hear listen, listen. A sower went out and sowed some seeds. Some fell on a path and got eaten up. Some fell on the rocks and died for lack of moisture. Some started to grow, but then withered because they were choked out by the weeds. But some fell in good soil, rich, fertile, nourishing soil, and produced a hundredfold. Listen. Amen. And thanks be to God.